Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. So we're now on our second episode for the Story Wagon podcast for season two. And I want to thank you for joining me today. Today, the format's going to be a little bit different. What we're going to do today is I don't have a guest. However, I will um, answer the questions that I've been getting from the email. So uh, many of you have written in and wanted some clarifying points on certain things that we've been talking about over the past year. And so today would be a good opportunity for that. And it will help us later in our journey as we continue on to interview other uh, professionals uh, that deal with the spiritual health issues. So for this first question, it says, um, Dear Chaplain Jose, can you explain a little bit more about what the role of a chaplain is? All right. Well, um, okay. So the chaplain is a person that works in an institution um, that is mainly not a religious institution. So there are different types of chaplains. There are hospital chaplains. There are hospice chaplains. There are military chaplains, prison chaplains, police chaplains, uh, fire chaplains, uh, just different types of chaplains in different types of institutions. There are even corporate chaplains. So chaplains that work inside different businesses. Um, I know that a a friend of mine applied for the Coca-Cola company. They were hiring for a chaplain at one point in time. So chaplains are out and about in the community uh, wherever institutions are, the the sports teams. I know the Chiefs has a chaplain, uh, which is a national football team here in Kansas City. So what is our role in the whole situation? Well, we are an interreligious profession. So any religion can endorse a person to become a chaplain. So... For instance, I'm a Christian chaplain endorsed by the Christian Church's Disciples of Christ to be a chaplain within the military and also in the hospital chaplaincy. They're Buddhist chaplains, they're Hindu chaplains, they're uh, Jewish chaplains, just all sorts of different kinds of chaplains. I've yet to meet a humanist chaplain, which would be a person that doesn't prescribe to uh, a faith where a higher being is acknowledged. However, there's an acknowledgement that there is some sort of sense of spirituality or sacredness in this world. So I know they're out there. I've just never encountered one yet. Uh, So there are different varieties of chaplains. And so our role is to, one, accommodation of religious preferences in the institution. 
So whenever we're in the institution and serving inside that institution, we're dealing with people of many faiths, many cultures, and our role is to accommodate whether we uh, provide a particular service uh, for accommodation. So for instance, if I encounter a Buddhist person uh, who prescribes to the Buddhist faith and does not uh, and needs uh, some sort of religious um, accommodation, since I am a Christian chaplain, I can't perform any of the religious activities. I must provide uh, for that person. So getting them into contact with uh, a local clergy person of their faith, getting them the materials that they need, uh, helping them to have their supervisors or or uh, colleagues to understand the 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 significance of a particular religious act if they need time off you know those sorts of things we are also there to advise uh, leadership in this so uh, to make sure that managers commanders you know, people of supervisory positions don't get in trouble for uh, what could be seen to be uh, religious preference on their part or religious discrimination. So we're there to help in those matters. We're also there to help in cult, uh, cultural and religious sensitivity. Many of us to become a chaplain oftentimes requires a person to go through a Masters of Divinity program, which is usually 75 to 90 credit hours. So it takes a person about three uh, to four years if they go full-time in a seminary to do that, or an equivalent. <laughs> so um, I have a couple of friends who were, or who are, uh, Muslim chaplains in the military, and their uh, studies took them, since there's no like seminary in the United States for the Muslim tradition, they went through a religious studies program that was equivalent to it. Uh, I think one of them went to Duke or something <laughs> to that nature or Harvard. Uh, so uh, there are ways to become a chaplain and endorsed by uh, a body. So the there are certain entities out there that endorse a chaplain so a religious body so like i said mine's the christian church of disciples of christ but the buddhists they have a i think different types of buddhism have their own entity that's recognized by the government for the for the military anyway um which they help people become endorsed to be a chaplain uh, and that's for any faith. They are, there are institutions out there that are recognized nationally and are accredited to endorse people for chaplain work. So that's how we become a chaplain, and that's like our role. The other parts of our role is to provide pastoral uh, counseling. It's a particular type of counseling that we get uh, through our studies, uh, pastoral theology, pastoral care, you know, that sort of thing. And also there's extra training in that. So if we're working into a hospital or a hospice setting, majority of your chaplains will have what they call clinical pastoral education, um, which is a, a thing that you go through after your, um, your master's work and you become ordained 
or recognized in your faith tradition to go through this program where there's didactic portions of it where you're learning different types of theory and methodology and uh, time to for reflection on your practice and then there's a practicum part where you're in the hospital or your particular ministry setting so a lot of times cpe centers are at hospitals and you go there for a year uh, as a year residency is one option to do it where you're part of the staff and you're going there every day and doing your thing or you can do what they call extended unit uh, which is over a period of a year but you're going in periodically once or twice a week to to do your practice and your didactics and then there's the um, sort of like the short term you get one credit unit over a summer um, and that's more of the intern type and ultimately what you want to do is you want to gain four credit units of CPE which allow you to go ahead and become a board certified chaplain which is uh, given through um, apply when you apply for it you write out um, all sorts of kinds of stuff your theology uh, different areas where you've um, helped people what kind of methodology you utilized they look over your um, CPE uh, reports what's you know from your CPE supervisors and things like that it's very complicated um, and very arduous and so so it's it allows people who hire chaplains who are board certified chaplains gone through the CPE they know that they have a well-educated person there so it's not like you can go online and get ordained and you know try to pass yourself off as a uh, a clergy person which uh, there's times and places for that i guess i mean if you're gonna marry someone in your state uh friends or what have you that's that's quite okay but when it comes to the professional setting such as institutions that's the rigorous training that we get the rigorous education that we get and then even from there people go on to get their doctorates of theology or ministry um, things like of that nature Um, so I hope that answers your question and that was written by uh, Sally here's another question that was written by a guy named John he goes uh, dear chaplain You've talked about moral injury. However, I, I don't understand what do you mean by moral injury. How is that different from post-traumatic stress disorder or anxiety? Can you further explain this to me, John? Okay. <clears throat> so we haven't really dove in deeply into moral injury. We've talked about different areas of moral injury. We've had... Uh, I think on the first episode of last season, I kind of gave a brief description. So ultimately, moral injury is an injury to one's conscience. It is caused by an event that, um, that transgresses one's moral values or core beliefs. And 
from that event, it kind of distorts the person's view of good in the world, like there's no good in the world or sacredness, and their perspective becomes uh, distorted in a sense, either of the world or themselves. And so with moral injury, there are two categories that moral injury comes through. So the first category is the category of uh, the perpetration. So uh, perpetration, you can either be the one that committed the act of the in, uh, the event. Um, so for instance, um, in this study of moral injury, it's mainly come from the VA and it's mainly come from um, seeing war uh, it, it was initiated by a guy named John, Dr. Jonathan Shea who coined the term moral injury and he was like looking at war veterans from Vietnam and so the VA kind of picked this up and, and, and has done a great extensive study on moral injury and so acts uh, of commission of the perpetration of moral injury is like a person killing uh, an individual in front of them um, they perpetrated this act of killing this un individual and maybe their moral value was, you know, they respect life, you know, they value life. They don't take life um, and things of that nature. And then there's the act of omission. So it's the category of perpetration and the act of omission. So act of omission is basically not doing something when you could have, uh, being the witness to something that you know you could intervene but you haven't you didn't intervene so that is the second type within that category the other category is the bystander so you can um in, in this category, there you can either be the witness of the act that's being committed, or you can be the survivor of the act that's being committed. Um, so, with that, you're you're witnessing something. You can't do anything. You know, even if you tried to intervene, you still couldn't do anything. You see it from afar. And if you think about it, you know, when you think about 9/11, for a lot of us who were watching TV when those aircraft were crashing into the buildings we felt helpless right so that that is a sort of the witness bystander uh, part of the category of course the survivor is the person that um, is part of the event that either is being done to them or they're just within the vicinity so with that I, I'm, I'm talking about perhaps in a domestic violence situation, you have a person at a young age who looks upon this scene of maybe their father figure abusing the mother figure or vice versa. And there's great violence within that. And so that causes a moral injury, not only just from the post-traumatic stress part, but also there is moral injury. So there isn't one definite definition of moral injury, but that's basically how I look at moral injury. The key differences that you want to look at between post-traumatic stress disorder and moral injury are these things. So, for instance, 
the thing that is lost when you are in an event and you suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress syndrome is the feeling of safety, right? Because there is a, with post-traumatic stress disorder or uh, syndrome, there is a, a direct, whether it's perceived or real, threat of one's life or safety. When it comes to moral injury, what's lost there is this sense of trust, right? So they, they feel betrayed, they feel alienated, they feel guilt, they feel shame. Those are the emotions that we're looking for when we're looking at moral injury. And so when treating these uh, or helping people in the healing process of this, because as clergy and religious uh, leaders, we don't, you, we don't, we're not in the business of medicine where we help people on the healing process without the, the other portion of it, you know, because the spiritual realm or spiritual dimension often integrates with the mental health dimension and the spiritual health dimension also integrates with the emotional dimension and the physical health dimension and the relational health dimension. That's why we want to look at this as a holistic thing. So with chaplaincy, we are looking at it from a multi-dimensional, uh, multidisciplinary way to help people through these different things. So when people are dealing with those feelings of deep guilt, deep shame, deep grief, uh, it, it's going to be coincided oftentimes with another um, dimension. So the mental health dimension. So a person who's dealing with PTSD, that is a mental health dimension. It's many of the <clears throat> symptoms are in the DSM-5. Many of their symptoms can be treated not only through therapeutic interventions from the mental health field, but also through medication. So for instance, person that is suffering from PTSD could also suffer from uh, anxiety or depression, you know, that sort of thing. And along the same lines, they could be grieving in the process of the whole thing. They could also be um, feeling guilt and shame through the whole thing. So uh, you can see there that there's different strands of the mental health and the spiritual health coming together and that. And so in the hospital realm, that's where the chaplain department, the spiritual health services department, they go in and work alongside with the social workers and licensed counselors, psychiatrists and psychologists to bring about wholeness for a person in their health. So the, the other key thing that you want to think about when we're thinking about moral injury and PTSD, they, they share some, some of the same symptoms. So I talked about grief and shame and guilt and being one side for moral injury and PTSD, we're looking at hypervigilance, we're looking at um, uh, nightmares sort of thing um, and just being startled very easily in that, in that sense. And then in the middle, you know, there are common symptoms that they have, you know, both people or they could exhibit, you know, anger. That's both sign for moral injury and PTSD. Uh, there's also insomnia, you know, so with with 
post-traumatic stress disorder, the way that you can tell the difference between that and moral injury is that PTSD, the nightmares wake you up in the middle of the night. So a person would be sleeping and then a nightmare will happen. They'll awake in the middle of the night with the moral injury portion of it. It's the thing that doesn't let you go to sleep. It's eaten at your conscience, right? You can't go to sleep because you're ruminating about this thing. And so when you think about moral injury and post-traumatic stress disorder, think about post-traumatic stress disorder as a fuse on a firecracker. You light it, it burns really quick, and pop, you know, you have this thing. With moral injury, it's more like a wick on a candle, a long wick on a candle, and it's a slow burn. So some of the things that people go through with an event and have moral injury from it, they won't experience it until years later, years later, um, when they start reflecting on it. So this is very important in the chaplain world and the spiritual health world because whenever we're dealing, many of us work in the field of hospice and we're dealing with people who are at the end of their lives, you know, we want to make them as comfortable as possible. Sometimes there's that thing that's in the back of their head that they regret, that they're, that they're shameful of, you know, sort of thing. And so that is moral injury. And so we come in and we help them through these different processes to help them on that healing. So some of you might be thinking, well, what are some of the things that you do to help people with moral injury? Well, there's many different techniques and methodologies, and they're, they're in continual uh, discovery because, again, this is a relatively new field within the spiritual health that we are really um, looking at and concentrating on because, as I said before, Dr. Jonathan Shea wrote a book uh, 10 years, 20 years, I can't remember exactly, um, about it. It's uh, Achilles in Vietnam, and then he wrote up a follow-up called Odysseus in America, and he coined the term moral injury. And then from there, you know, many people, many disciplines are going in and um, researching this more in depthly. But one of the key things that Dr. Jonathan Shea, Shea says is this, is that moral injury is a modern term to an ancient problem, right? So in civilization, as long as we've seen the civilized world of matter where in world history we see war we see combat we see conflict and many of these different um, many of these different cultures had their own way of reintegrating their warriors because of this sense of moral injury them having to do things and things like that so uh, Japan has this ancient samurai in Bushido. I mean, if you look into Bushido, there's a lot of things about um, act, the acting right um, and having this martial uh, martial art values, core values and beliefs and things like that to help a person to stay true on a trajectory. The In the Mesoamerican world, uh, the Aztecs had... A particular group of people called the Pochteca, which were basically the reserves of 
their society of a military society and they would have a cleansing ritual that would they would bring in their their warriors into uh, separating them from uh, society and going through this ritual because of the things that that um, would happen to them during during that time of conflict where they had to maybe betray people i don't know things of that nature and in the aztec world uh, in that mesoamerican world the the idea of soul and <clears throat> heart um, is very complicated <laughs> and so each of those there's like three hearts in a person's uh body system for for them you know not necessarily the physical heart but just you know the idea of this spiritual self and that it had to take a a, a certain ritual a process uh to help a person to be cleansed and you can think of different uh, warrior societies that do the same thing the spartans the romans all sorts of different people throughout history and now we come to our culture, our society, in today's modern wars, we kind of have to do the same thing. So <clears throat> what are the different ways that we do to help a person to feel cleansed, so to speak, to feel liberated from their, uh, from their guilt of conscience? Well, a lot of it has to do with trying to create ritual that allows a person to see good in this world and see good in themselves and so that goes on in many forms many different spiritual practices so in the christian realm there's this idea of lament there's this idea of confession and things of that nature uh in in the Buddhist tradition, mindfulness has been very helpful. <laughs> uh, the mindfulness, we, we use mindfulness practices all the time, and that's coming from the different meditative practices of not only Buddhism, but, um, you know, in Christianity, we have contemplation, which is another form of kind of a meditative sort of thing. Um, we have like different methodologies and methods and models to do it so there is a pastoral narrative disclosure sort of model where you know you sit a person down and they go through this exercise of talking to an authoritative figure that a moral or authoritative figure um in their mind or out loud and they are in the position of that moral authoritative figure and then themselves, you know, going back and forth, back and forth, having a conversation in that manner. So, yeah, that's been a long drawn out <laughs> of that moral injury. But know that they're out there. And so at Story Agon, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring stories and people together to kind of explore this more um, and look at the other different spiritual issues, spiritual health issues. So like being resilient and being spiritually fit, what does that mean? Um, we're looking at also grief and bereavement. You know, how do we go through the process of change when something in our lives have ch suddenly changed all of a sudden? And so we need more awareness because there are many hurt people out there. And if we know anything about anything, we know many people have suffered from trauma. And then oftentimes with trauma, 
moral injury occurs. So this is one of the things that I'm really trying to uh, bring awareness to, uh, especially for the listeners out there. So I've only got to two questions and we're almost out of time. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. Uh, But please continue sending those questions to me. We'll, we'll get to those questions. I might even have one of the, 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 the guests to come and answer that question. Um, so in the next few months, uh, in this season, we're going to have some really great guests coming on to this podcast, um, different religious perspectives, of course, you know, plurality is great. Uh, ecumenism is awesome. So, because we're all human when it comes down to it, right. And we're all sacred we're all worth a value and so if we can help one another i think that's the greatest greatest thing that we can do as a as a society as a human race to help one another to lift out in the darkness that we might be in so please stay tuned and keep dialing in downloading these podcasts i'm going to try to get those podcasts out onto different platforms so that other people can hear and that you can share Uh, but spread the word and so with that we'll call that a wrap of episode number two i want to thank you the listener without you this could not be possible thank you so much for listening and downloading this podcast i want to thank sam billen for the music that he provided for us and that we were able to utilize and so this is chaplain jose martinez wishing you good spiritual health See you next time.